Okay. Everybody hear me? Okay. <clears throat> so today we are in Second Timothy chapter three. I'll go ahead and open this up in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we are thankful to be here to listen to your word and to consider what you would teach us from it today. Lord, I ask that you would use me and, and speak through me. I realize my insufficiency much more now that I am preparing to teach your word. I, I see my absolute dependence upon you. And so, Lord, I ask that your spirit would, would take full control and that you would teach your people. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so... Second Timothy chapter 3. Paul is warning Timothy and exhorting him of what to look out for and, uh, and what he should do, I think. And we're, we're seeing this pattern in 2 Timothy, which is also the same in 1 Timothy. Um, you know, we know Paul is in prison. He is, he is currently suffering persecution for the word. And... Um, and I think we see him, he, he knows that his time is short, and so he wants, he wants to, to, he wants Timothy to be able to fill his shoes in a way when he's, when he's gone. And so he, we see many warnings and, and many exhortations in this, this is a personal letter to Timothy. And I think in chapter three, what we're gonna see here is uh, two main themes. I think the key verse is in chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. And, these are, and this is the two main themes that we're going to find in this chapter. In verses 12 and 13, it says, indeed, indeed, all that desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So I, this, I think, is going to help us to break up this chapter so we know what Paul is talking about. And so, the, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So just from the first verse, we see that Paul is speaking about a time one that seems to not have arrived yet. We can see this because he says, there will come. In 2 Peter 3.3, which is identical to this passage, it says, in the last days, scoffers shall come. Now this term, last days, is most frequently, is used most frequently with this sense. And speaking of a time that is to come that is not yet here, but, in a couple places, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, and in Hebrews, Hebrews 1, verse 2, it is used as a time that has already come. 
goodness. Um, another example is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says that in latter times, some shall depart from the faith. And so I think it's, it's pretty apparent from the text that Paul is speaking about a time that is not yet here. And he goes on to describe... Let me get ahead of myself here. Okay, and it's... And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, speaks of speaks of signs that Christ return. Christ's return will be observable. Sorry. Signs of Christ's return that will be observable, saying, Rebellion will take place, and a man of sin will be revealed. The word used for rebellion in the Greek is apostasia, which usually means defection or forsaking. And so what Paul's going to get into is speaking about the, these signs um, that we're going to see as, as time goes on and as things get worse and worse. And without getting too much into eschatology, um, just observing the text, um, Paul is he's speaking about a time that's going to come. He's going to tell us how these things are going to grow worse and worse. And now I am of, of the personal opinion that the, things are going to get worse, and things are going to get more difficult for the, for Christians and for believers in this world. And um, that's not to say that that we're going to be ineffectual. I think the the, the Christian um, and the the kingdom of God is going to grow, and, and that's something that's not as observable as the actions of, of men of the world. It's going to continually get evil and worse, and we're going to see that. And, and, but that's not to say that the kingdom of God is, is not growing. But my own personal opinion, if you ask me about eschatology, I think we're going to see things get worse. It's not going to get better for us. And that's my personal opinion. Like I said, I'm not going to go too deep into eschatology. Um, another thing to consider, oh, I'll go ahead and read the next portion. For people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so Paul is telling us a time is coming, and it's going to be times of difficulty. And he talks about how the godlessness of these people um, you know, is going to get increase, increasingly worse. And then the next verse is actually going to give us a little bit more context. Having the appearance of godliness, this is verse 5, but denying its power. And I think this is, this is telling us that these people are they're going to be in the visible church or around the visible church. And we know Paul is dealing with false teachers. We know that's one thing he's warning Timothy about. And so I, I, I think that's, that to me is, uh, I mean, you look at that list of sins. Um, Paul is speaking about a group of people. He describes these people as being filled with selfishness and pride and swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Not only does he describe these sins that are the epitome of godlessness, but he then says that they have an appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Just like in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, 
but by their works they deny him. Seeming to indicate that they are among believers or at least associated with Christianity in some way. These people are imposters and evil people that he describes in verse 13. And I, looking at this, most of the sins I find interesting, most of the sins that he lists here in the Greek, it has a word philo attached to it, which we know is a word for love. And, and just looking, you can see it in plain English, you know, lovers of self more than lovers of God, lovers of money, you know. Um, and so we're, this, that's why I say this is the epitome of godlessness, because self is on the throne, and God is, God is nowhere near the throne. I mean, this is a selfish, prideful, uh, self-centered life, which is the, you know, the ultimate sin in, in the unregenerate person is, I don't need God. I can do this myself. It is, it is viewing yourself as your own God, as your own authority. Now, me personally, when I'm going over this list and I'm studying it, I can find some things in here that that I'm guilty of. I, can, I feel like sometimes I, I love myself more than I love God. And, you know, the way I used to view this text, coming from my, you know, from my old background, as I looked at this as the things that I, things that I had to do, and things that I, well, some of them I, I can't do, I would see the inability in my own heart. And, um, but that's not Paul's point here, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's a very humbling list of, uh, of sins. And um, so Paul's going to go on to say that in verse 6, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. <clears throat> Now, without getting into that verse too much, I think we should just look at what's obvious, is that these people are preying on the weak. And that's the commentaries that I read on that verse, specifically was saying that these false teachers were targeting women because women were the, considered the weaker vessel. And I think in John Gill's commentary, he talks about how, you know, just as Satan targeted the woman, to get to the man, so he does, um, you know, with his false teaching, target the women. And I, that, I mean, that sounds good, and I, I'm not really convinced in my own mind on this verse, but I think what's important and what we take away is that these people are propagating, propagating false religion, and they're targeting those who are vulnerable, vulnerable and those who are weak. And so we have, we have godlessness increasing under the pretense of religion, and then we have false teaching that's coming from this. And then in verse 8, Paul's going to mention Janus and Jambres. Now, who knows who Janus and Jambres is? Anybody? Okay. Huh? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So Jewish tradition says that Janus and Jambres were the magicians who were with Pharaoh who opposed Moses. And so <clears throat> Paul mentions Janus and Jambres who opposed Moses by performing identical miracles. 
Just like false teachers today who put forth an identical form of Christianity and many are led astray by their teaching, Janus and Jamus opposed the word of God. The word of the Lord was to let the Israelites go, and they stood with Pharaoh in his decision to keep the Israelites, and then they tried to defy God by copying the things that Moses did so as to diminish the miracle of the Lord. So, too, these false teachers and their, do- their doctrines that promote self and pride and pleasure, denying the word of God in one way or another, either that we have no... Either that we have no righteousness, they teach that we can earn our way to heaven, or they teach that Christ died so you can live how you want, and so diminish the work of Christ and the miracle of regeneration. And I think that's, that's basically describing this first group of people as those who reject the word of God. At, at the heart, fundamentally, somewhere, they reject the word of God. They may be involved in Christianity, they may be teachers, they may be professors of religion, but they have something wrong in their doctrine. They're missing something about Christ, whether, whether, or they're missing something about self, whether it's our depravity or whether it's God's requirement for the believer to walk a holy life. And so it, it leads them to, to being deceived, as it says in verse 13, deceiving and being deceived. It seems as though the apostles knew that things would grow worse. As far as the opposition to the truth and overall godlessness in the visible church, as well as false teachers, they had seen these things firsthand and were often in their writings opposing them in some way or another. It was their view that these things would only increase as time went on, not that the true church would be ultimately hindered by it, but that it would be an ever-present form of opposition, even calling it times of difficulty just as Just as Pharaoh was hardened after repeated warning and command and plague, so the continued rejection of the word only increases the hardness of the heart. The word either does two things. It either humbles you or it hardens you. So I'll go ahead and ask a question here. How would you say false false teachers cause times of difficulty for true believers, the true church? What, what are the times of difficulty that Paul is talking about here? Specifically with false teachers. Well, I think Paul in his letters to the churches was addressing that. One of the main themes of his letters was about how false teachers would not only enter, but actually rise up from within the church and lead people astray from the true gospel. Um, Gnosticism, early forms of Gnosticism, obviously, were the ones that he was talking about, um, where, you know, matter was evil and spirit was good. Christ didn't actually come to earth. He was a spirit being, because matter was evil. He couldn't be fully human, fully divine spirit. Um, So it began to caused people to doubt the doctrines that Paul was, was teaching, so he had to put it down quickly. And so, um, very destructive type heresies entering the church, and they're still here. Uh, 
Yeah, just to know that this is not anything new, you know, for, for Paul's age or for our age, there's always been false teachers. There's always been false prophets. I think of Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves a swift destruction. So he's saying, hey, look, this is something that's been going on from the beginning. There's been false teaching. There's been false gospels ever since the, ever since the fall. And I think, you know, the most dangerous ones are the ones that are so closely parallel to the truth. They take the truth, just enough of it, and twist it. And that's what, that's what Satan did, right? Like, he takes what God says, but he twists it. And um, the I think is a good example of that because they'll find all kinds of passages in scripture that read upon their own and looked at on their own. They seem to promise like wealth, life, you know, I mean, physical wealth, physical health, physical life. You're going to get all this stuff. Um, and, but not understanding the proper context, you know, can really be misapplied and, and twisted. And so the dangerous ones, the prosperity gospel is obviously one, um, but the da most dangerous ones are ones that take um, the truth and try and try and mimic it as much as possible, but with the intention of leading you astray. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point. And that's basically, you know, the confusion, right? It's, it causes confusion, especially, like I said, it's, they're preying on, on the weaker of the people. And I, for myself, know coming from a Pentecostal background, you know, when I first, from what I believe was saved, you know, there, there was much confusion about the word. Sound doctrine was not preached from the pulpit. It, it, and so it left me without, in ignorance. And so when I heard false teaching, I didn't know how to go look and, you know, go to the scripture and see, is that really what the word of God teaches? Nobody had taught me that. Nobody had discipled me in that way. And so, yeah, it causes a, a lot of confusion about some core beliefs, you know, in Christianity. Anybody else have any other comments? Just real quick, I think also it gives false assurances, and and again, based usually upon our own merits or something that we do, and so it's it's close, and so people think, well, as long as I do this, I'm safe, as opposed to understanding and relying on the finished work of Christ. Yeah, yeah, good point. Okay, so a little bit harder question, make you think a little bit more. Now, what about false brethren? How can false brethren cause difficulties? Somebody who either believes a false doctrine and thinks they're saved, or somebody who's just completely deceived and doesn't know any better. Nobody? Okay. Well, I would say, you know, a false brethren could be a vessel for false teaching to another weaker brethren. If somebody is believing something false, whether we have our own righteousness that we have to work out, or whether we're living under such grace that we can live licentiously and lasciviously however we want, that may carry over to another brother who's weaker. And Paul warns us of this also when, he, when he's speaking about, you know, meat or food, and he's saying, you know, in your faith you can eat that food, but, you know, your weaker brother may not think that it's okay, and you're going to destroy him when you do that, you know, he's warning us, be careful about what you do around brethren who are weaker, because you can influence them. And so if somebody's holding to false teaching and, and false assurance, they definitely can influence a weaker brother 
you know, to, uh, to go down that same road. Um, okay, something... No, this is an exhortation. I don't think anyone in this room needs to hear it, but I feel like the Lord put this on my heart. So, I would submit to you that it is a dangerous position to be in and to be around the truth and even to claim to embrace the truth and to not have the truth who is Christ. Paul uses the word disqualify in verse 8, which is translated reprobate in the King James. That's where we get the doctrine of reprobation from, which if you're not familiar with it, I would look into it. This seems to indicate the actuality of God causing a hardness and blindness that is final. And Second Thess- Thessalonians 2, verses 10 through 12, Paul says, And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I think, I think Paul is very serious when he talks about the, these things. There's, you know, there's two things that the Bible does not really speak well of, and that is hypocrisy and unbelief. There's two things that Jesus easily got angered by, and it was hypocrisy and unbelief. And so when the Bible talks about these people, it hardly has anything nice to say you know, about these false teachers and these, these imposters. Now, we don't know who's reprobate just like we don't know who's elect. We are called to try and win all. And if any of these people turn to the Lord, there is mercy. But it's a rare thing from what I've seen. I've spoken with plenty of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And it is, it is all too common that when you speak the truth, they stop their ears. They do not want to hear it. Because when you believe in a false system that's already giving you assurance, why are you going to abandon and forsake it? It takes a miracle of the Lord just with any new birth, but it takes a miracle of the Lord. And just, I would say, remember what Jesus says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And the Greek, that, that means the most. The many there is the most. Most people. Remember he says, few are there that find the way to eternal life. <clears throat> Okay, so moving on to uh, any comments or questions. I know the doctrine of reprobation can be hard to digest for some people, but um, comments or questions? Okay, moving on to uh, verse 10. Now Paul is going to move on to speaking to Timothy and exhorting him, he's gonna, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Then he goes on to our key verse, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it, 
how from a childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I think, you know, this is the exact opposite of the people we see in the, in the first section here. Um, those people were lovers of self and lovers of pleasure. They would never subject themselves to, to humility, especially that which would cause bodily harm and shame. You know, talking about the persecutions that Paul's talking about here. Um, the, these... These people that Paul is addressing, he's telling Timothy, you know, you follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. You know, he's admonishing Timothy for, for his emulation of, of Paul. And, you know, saying that he followed him in persecutions. You know, so Timothy's had his share in persecutions. In many other places, um, Paul has, uh, you know, vouched for Timothy... And he's all, and um, even in Second Timothy here alone, you know he's he's uh, he's telling him in Second Timothy one verse eight, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In Second Timothy one eleven and twelve, he says, I was appointed an, an apostle. I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. And 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. And so he, he's, he's telling Timothy, look, this, this is the way it's going to be. When, when, you, when the word of God is your, is your only authority, and you try to live your life according to the word of God, there's going to be some persecution, as he says in the verse 13 or 12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's inseparable. It's inseparable. If you're going to if you're going to pick this book up and say, I'm gonna live my life exactly how this book says, and you let the word flow through you, through your life, others are going to see it. They're gonna take notice. As it, you know, says elsewhere, it says, Paul says, you know, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And how do, you know, how do we expose them? You don't have to go around pointing your finger and saying, you know, stop doing that, or that's sin. Or that. No, you just have to live a righteous life. People hate it. You, you live holy, people, people are going to hate you. When they, when they go out drinking, and, you know, your old friends, and you say, I don't, I don't do that anymore. You know, I, 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 li- I live my life for Christ. They can't stand that. You know, because you're making them feel guilty about the sin they're still living in. So Paul is promising Timothy that suffering is going to come from adherence to the word. And so I'll go ahead and ask another question. Okay, how are we still persecuted here in America? Who all would say yes? Okay, for those of you who say yes, can you give me an example? When we, when we acknowledge the truth of God's word as being a standard, the world fights back about that and saying, 
no, that's not right. We, you can't determine what truth is, and we're just messengers saying, no, this is what God's word says. They fight against that. Again, the persecution, the levels are very different. I mean, we're not being at the stake or anything like that, but we're, our, the ideas of truth are attacked. Did God really say, and back to what Nick was alluding to from Genesis, did God really say the world is attacked, that there could be any such thing as um, truth? Yeah. That, yeah, that's that's where I my view would lie too. And Roberto, did you that one? Yeah, I think it obviously depends on how you're living in America. I mean, if you're very overt about your faith and your neighbors know what you believe, some will uh, be okay with you, some won't. Some will separate from you. I think that's you know for. America, whatever, if you want to call it, God's grace on the church that um, he separated the church out from a situation where people were, like Craig said, were being burned at the stake for what they believed. Um, I don't know if that's grace or, um, you know, a curse in a sense because people can, can hide too and not be overt about their faith in America in anywhere, but in America, you can say you're a Christian and not really share your faith or what you believe, and and be um, and persecution, overt persecution, can be absent completely. So I think what you have to do is is examine your own life and go, am I living this way? Is am I am I ashamed of the gospel to the point that I'm not? It isn't overflowing out of me. It's not coming out of me not having those kind of conversations and um, so um, the persecution Paul's talking about here I think is a different persecution um, when he was sharing the gospel with the Thessalonians and in a lot of churches in the area um, they were they were going to face extreme persecution at times like loss of job maybe you know kicked out of the synagogue all of those things that that um, he experienced, he was warning that this is what you probably will experience as well. Um, I think, you know, it isn't over. I think that there will be an overt pushback, and it's already beginning, but it, and it's always happened, I guess, but um, maybe it will ramp up in the end times that um, Christians will really have to stand up for what they believe and maybe be forced to to endure some of the things Paul is talking about here. So, yeah, I think it's they're two different things, two different t- types of persecution. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, I I take the promise of Paul literally when he says, "All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution," and I agree, it's toned down definitely. Here in America, the persecution if you want to call it that or not, the persecution that we receive is very minimal. And when you compare it to people like you know, North Korea, China, and other places like that, it gets pretty severe over there. And when you look at that, you can say, well, I'm not really persecuted. But I think, you know, I think the persecution, even though it is you know, subdued by the Lord maybe to a degree, I, I feel it's, it's ready to be released. You know, as soon as that, as soon as the Lord would withdraw his hand, those, it, it, it would turn for us very quickly. We would be like North Korea or China. 
And for whatever reason, the Lord has given us grace. I think you're right. Um, but I, I still think, you know, if you're, if, if you're living this way, you're going to get some pushback here and there in little ways. I've, I mean, I don't like to say I'm persecuted, but I've experienced it. I've been called a bigot. I've been called many names before, you know, for believing in the scriptures and, you know, proclaiming my, my belief. And so, yeah, there is some persecution, not to the same level as other countries. But um, I think it's always there ready, ready to do the maximum, you know, if the Lord permits. <clears throat> so... Moving into the last part of this, you know, Paul is really concerned with doctrine. And we see that all throughout 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, doctrine is important. And as we've heard from this pulpit many times, you know, right doctrine isn't enough. It's, it's right doctrine that impacts your life, right? It's doctrine that actually has an effect on your heart and changes you. But nonetheless, doctrine is important. Um, and so he, he's... Ex- exhorting Timothy, he's warning him as he, you know, many other places, you know, sound, sound words, sound doctrine, <clears throat> continue what you have learned. It says, how from a childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so the scriptures become very important to the believer. The Word of God becomes extremely important to the believer, for in it we learn about our new position in Christ and the promises made to us. We learn about our condition before Christ and how God made provision for our redemption. We learn about the character and nature of our God. In it we hear God speak to us through the text, confirming his love for us or correcting us through the Spirit, sanctifying us. Such is the position of Scripture in the life of the believer. It is everything to us because in it, it is it's how we hear from the Lord. It's how the Lord speaks to us and corrects us. Without the Scripture, I mean, we, we have prayer, right? But Scripture is where, we, where God speaks to us, where we receive from the Lord. Um, and I think, Paul, I think if you ask me, going, going into the last verse here, um, you know, where Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I believe that Paul knew, at least in some sense, that, that what they were writing would be scripture. And if you ask me why I think that, I would point you to, um, let me find it real quick. I think it's Second Peter three. Okay, this is the one scripture I don't have written down, so I gotta find it. I'm sorry. Um, Okay, 2 Peter 3 and verse 16. Peter's talking about Paul and in the writings, and he says, 
It was start, starting in verse 15. It says, Paul also wrote, wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. Uh, it may seem like a stretch, but I think Peter is acknowledging that the, apost- the apostles writing our scripture. And I think, you know, if we look at the authority given to the apostles and the fact that they were, they, they were messengers of Christ sent out with the message of Christ, the word of God, I, th- I think they would have known that some of the things they were saying were definitely scripture. And so, um, you know, when Paul is saying all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for approval, and for correction, uh, I mean, he, he obviously knows at least a lot of what he's saying, you know, is scripture. <clears throat> That's probably debatable. I've, I've seen the differing views. He could be talking about the Old Testament just the Old Testament, and I, I mean, I, I could agree with that, because that's the, that's the scriptures that they had, you know, that's, just, that's the first scriptures that they would have had in the early church, is the, the Old Testament, you know, the, the, the law and the prophets, and, and that's, we see, like in the book of Acts, where, you know, the guy was going down the road, and Philip caught up to him, and he was reading Isaiah, you know, and he, Philip was able to preach the gospel to him from Isaiah, and so that could very well be what he's talking about, but Verse 2 and where? 2 Peter 3, verse 2. Okay. Through your apostle. Okay, yeah. Says it right there, right? It says, so that you remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Right? And then the New Testament. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. Thanks for pointing that out. <clears throat> well, there you go, right there. Um, so yeah, it's uh, he's acknowledging that you know this is scripture, and then our our life is now revolved around scripture. And, and so I'll go ahead and open it up to questions. I want to ask, what does it mean that scripture is breathed out by God? Does anybody know? says all scripture is breathed out by God. Thanks, Adam. One of the things when you have breath, it means that somebody's living. And so when you have God breathed, he's exhaling it. And so it's a very interesting illustration when you think about how the Bible's helping us to picture God and so he's breathing scripture out. He's alive, and he's revealing his divine word to us. He's breathing it out. We're to inhale it. It is our breath. It's our, it's, it is that oxygen that every Christian needs. He breathes it out. We breathe it in. Pretty amazing illustration. Very good. Anyone else? I think that hit the nail on the head there, Wayne. <clears throat> just just a quick comment too I mean as in verse 15 of what you just read too about about these sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ I mean that's what we've been studying in, in Romans right 
there's a purpose and reason for the law so we can know truth from error. So this is, this is important. We can't be divorced from some parts of Scripture. It's all new and old, as we just read here again in, in 3.2. All of it's God's word that he has breathed out to us. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and that's going into the applications. I had a couple things for application to, to bring up. We're getting pretty close to our time here. But just a thought, and you guys can answer if you want to. Do we obey the word when things get hard or when sin looks easy? You don't have to answer. I'm just putting it out there. Something to think about considering the text that we just looked at. You know, when, when things get difficult, are we quick to go to our vices and the things that make us feel better, or are, are, we, are we sticking to the word of God and, and trusting the promises and believing that what God has said he will do? Is there, and another one is, is there any area in my life where I'm not submitting to the word, the word of the Lord and its guidance? As small it is, as it is, I mean, if there's something that you know is plain in Scripture and you're ignoring it, then I, I, I say you are not submitting. And um, I'm not perfect, so don't, don't think I'm standing up here and saying that I do this perfectly, because <laughs> I don't. But um, we, should be, we should be zealous and we should be diligent to search out you know, that's, why, that's why we find ourselves in the Word, because this is telling us how we ought to live and what we ought to do and not to do. And, not to do. and, and then we, we inquire of the Lord and His help by His Spirit to help us obey, right? Because we can't do it on our own. It takes the Lord and it takes His Spirit in us, sanctifying us. So just some thoughts. Um, any comments before I close? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And then, uh, you know, the issue of, of hearing is good, but there's another issue pertaining to apprehending. And not talking about Vacaville PD apprehension. Although it's similar somewhat in as much as someone is at large, and then they're contained. But it's about the word of God being contained us yeah and being mixed by with faith yeah amen i think i would say it's also opposite right the word apprehends us right when we're, when we're going astray and you read and it tells you you're doing you're doing something wrong right it grips us and it makes us think about that and try you know turn our turn our ways back to the lord so amen it goes both ways i think yeah anybody else any comments Yeah, I think of where it says having childlike faith and you asked when when we go through tough times that's really when we want to come to the word even more reason to come to the word and search out God. It's easy when you're feeling blessed to feel like you're you're walking with the Lord, but when it's hard, when tribulation comes, that's really when childlike faith kicks in and you you really have all your trust in the Lord to bring you through it. Amen. The scripture 
in Second um, Peter chapter three, verse sixteen, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. To, speaking of Paul, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved. So he's talking to believers. He's talking to me. And this really does speak to me. It says, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Not your salvation, your stability. And that's where I was for years until the Lord brought me to a place of total devastation and total dependence on him. I, I, and I heard this this week <laughs> that kind of stuck in my head. Hard preaching produces soft hearts. Amen. Soft preaching produces hard hearts. Yep. And I want a soft heart before the Lord. I want to hear what he has to say. I want my dependence on him and not on some so-called prophet that's coming up with new revelation that pulls me away from the solid, uh, true gospel and the true word of God, and I lose my stability in, in God. That's good. I like that. <clears throat> All right. Any... Pressing thoughts or comments before I close? Second Timothy 3.9 But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. I forgot about that verse. <laughs> I wanted to speak on that. Yeah, they won't get far. They'll be exposed. If not in this world, at the final judgment, right? All right. All right, I'll close this in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time together, considering your word and what it has taught us, Lord. Lord, let it, let it resonate in our hearts. Let it be used, Lord, and, and thought about. Are we people who live the word so much so that, that we do get backlash from other people? Is Christ living through us? In, in, such, in such a way, Lord, and are we people who stick to the word no matter what, no matter what times of difficulty come or temptations come. Lord, I pray that we would be people who do these things and by your grace, Lord, and through faith. I ask, Lord, that you would bless the rest of this day of worship, that you would bless the preaching of God's word as Pastor Nick comes up here, that you would bless the worship songs, Lord, and that you would bless all the hearers. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.